the sleeper in the bus. There's skill, there's luck. A keeper or cut. Open file, a case shut. A short stop or stop short. Press play or press abort. Intelligence for sports. Good of y'all to listen. Aiming at what truth is. Mike and Eno pitching like the name is Michael Lewis. Others in the dust or left out to rust. Who's hitting? Who's missing? The sleeper in the bus. The sleeper in the bus. Hello out there in Fantasyland, and welcome to The Sleeper and the Bust. I'm Mike Podhorzer, and I'm joined today by Rotograss contributor Brandon Warren. And today we'll be discussing all things Minnesota Twins, as well as a breakout catcher. And today's most interesting player alive is, of course, Brandon Belt, coming off of the game of his life yesterday. Five for six, a double, a homer. Four runs scored and six RBIs. Brandon, let's talk about Brandon here, who has uh, obviously a fantastic first name that he shared yeah. with you. Yeah, no doubt about that. So right now, I mean, look at, looking at his overall season stats, it's pretty interesting because he still looks like an underwhelming mixed league option. But, I mean, he's been pretty hot, obviously. Where do you think of him? Where do you value him? going into next year? I think you have to look at him as a riser, basically, based on how he's hit now in the past couple of months. And basically, he had a terrible month to April. But since May May 1st on, he's got an 890 OPS and 50, excuse me, 44 extra base hits. I mean, you extrapolate that out. That's a pretty good season for a first baseman. I'm not sure if he's still a top-tier option, but he's starting to look more like the hitter that he was down in the minor leagues. Yeah, well... He clearly is showing a lot more power than he did last year. I mean, he only had seven home runs and 411 at-bats, and that was quite disappointing last season. So it's nice to see the power rebounding. Now his isolated slugging is right in line with where it was at in 2011, and it's still not exactly at the level that one may have expected in the minor leagues. Now, his home run per fly ball ratio is still only 11%, so a lot of his home run surge is due to the fact that he's hitting more fly balls and grounders. Uh, I mean, when I look at that, I think that just based on the home run per fly ball, he still has some upside in that bat. Do you agree? Yeah, I tend to think he can be a 20 to 25 home run guy. I'm not saying that's a ceiling necessarily, but I think you see a guy that's definitely a riser and past couple years he looked more like a really good hitting middle infielder rather than a corner infielder and I think at this point you can project as a 25 26 year old guy that he can grow into that frame and maybe maybe become a bit more of a power threat yeah and he'll also chip in some steals he only has five this year which I guess is a bit of a disappointment after he stole 12 in those 411 at bats last year so we probably shouldn't count on double digit steals in the future just because he is a big guy and and he's the type of guy who maybe he steals a bunch of bases when he's younger when in the minor leagues it's easier but as you become more of a power hitter the steals just kind of evaporate kind of like Carlos Lee I mean we forget Carlos Lee was a base stealer when he was younger and that's hard to believe now but he was and it seems like that's probably going to be the case for Brandon Belt I mean would you expect more than 10 bases stolen next year no, I don't even know if there's anything predictive about either if he goes to the middle of the order. He's going to be the kind of guy where they're not going to want to risk him on the bases, getting hurt or just not being an effective base runner in that in that respect. I, I don't think you can count on him for anything more than just a boost in value, maybe just to help you out a little bit on the side. But he, he won't be a threat running the bases in the future, I don't, I don't believe. Now, do you think he's a legitimate 
290 hitter, which is where he's at about right now. Uh, I mean, it comes along with about a 350 BABIP. He's done that for two years in a row. Do you think that's legit, or has he been a bit fortunate with his batting average? Well, lots of line drives, pretty good ground ball rate, so there is some give in the, the batting average on balls in play. I think he's in the vicinity of a 275 to 285. At 290 would certainly be a, a ceiling for me because I, I don't know that you can project many hitters to hit over that consistently. But I think what he is is he's just well-rounded. He He's going to strike out, and that, that has to play into his projection a little bit. But he's also going to walk enough to, to be – a guy that's going to clog the bases, so to speak. So I, I just I like the balance that he brings. I think in points leagues or in leagues that have points for on base percentages or walks, he has to get a nice bump in those kind of deals. Yeah, and his counting stats in terms of runs and RBIs are still a little low, and uh, it does kind of limit his mixed league value. But I think he's pretty much solidified himself in the the three hole in the order. And if he opens next year there. Obviously, he's not going to have to worry about the playing time anymore. And if he bats third every single day, that'll really help out his runs and RBIs and will allow him to potentially be a, a starting mixed league for his baseman, perhaps a top 12 option, especially when you throw in the high single-digit steals and the fact that he seems like a high bat bip guy uh, just based on his good batted ball profile. Would you agree? Yeah. yeah, he's a mixed league option. He's an option in 10, 12-team leagues for sure. As, as a number one first baseman going into next year, I would say. All right, let's talk about your expertise, and that is the Minnesota Twins. And if I can just check your signature, remember you had a uh, Minnesota Twins beat reporter. So, so what exactly do you do with the Twins? I cover them day-to-day when they're in town here for the local ESPN affiliate. And so I'm half beat reporter, half columnist for the, the local 1500 1500- ESPN radio station and so basically I'm permitted to interject my opinion in my columns but at the same time I cover newsy stuff I cover whatever's going on with the team while they're in the Minneapolis area all right so let's talk about Joe Maurer obviously he suffered that concussion a couple of weeks ago he has not played yet they've been talking about him moving to first base permanently so what's going on here is that going to be kind of fast-tracked I was that discussion also fast-tracked because of the concussion, or were they already thinking about that? And is it likely that he's going to be the everyday first baseman next year after the team traded Justin Morneau? The Twins still maintain that Joe Maurer will be a catcher for as long as he was going to catch in the meantime. I'm not sure if I buy into that. Basically what the general manager, Terry Ryan, said was that Joe Maurer is going to have to come to the Twins and say that he does not want to catch anymore for them to move him or – the doctors are going to have to recommend that it's not healthy for him to try catch again. I am not entirely sure that I'm buying that, but if that happens, yeah, he'll be the everyday first baseman for the Twins next year. And I, I still think he could be a good first baseman, but I, I'm not sure his value is the same as if he's a catcher. No, I mean, I would think that his value, in fantasy at least, takes an enormous hit. I mean, he's basically a rich man's James Loney at first base. Uh, John Olerud definitely would be a good comp, too, I think. You, you just got a guy that's, I, I think, in terms of real-life utility, he could be a three, three-and-a-half, four-win on the war-scale first baseman because I, I like to see what it does to his batted ball profile with his legs under him and fully healthy because he's not squatting down to catch. I think you may see more doubles. You may see more home runs. But it, it's still it's so hard to gauge because we just haven't seen enough of him from out behind the plate to know how to project that. Yeah, I mean, that's another thing is that he should 
if he was the everyday first baseman, set a new career high in plate appearances, perhaps, you know, assuming he remains healthy, perhaps get 600 at-bats as well, which will really boost his counting stats. And maybe, you know, being healthy for a full season will uh, increase his power. You don't know. But obviously he does take a hit when you look at it on, a, on the whole and you compare the position scarcity boost that he got from catcher, moves him out to first base. So, I mean, it's not going to be enough to offset the, uh, the the position change. But he definitely will still have value, I think, as a first baseman. I mean, he could still be a, a 15-home run guy batting over 300. And I think that's still worthy, maybe not a starting first baseman, but certainly a corner infielder. Yeah, and sometimes I think we get so caught up in the mold of what a corner infielder needs to look like. The, his bat will play. I mean, he has an 880 OPS right now. And if you strip that down to however you want in terms of double singles, home runs, an 880 OPS plays at first base, in my opinion. Right. It's just a different way of getting there. He does it by walking a lot, just getting on base, singles, doubles, not a whole lot of home run power. But it doesn't really matter how you get to the OPS or the WOBA as long as it's good enough to play it first. And I think it is. So offensively, he should be fine. Although you might hear some casual fans who don't understand to kind of complain about his production. Oh, he doesn't hit enough home runs to be a first baseman. Yeah, well, it's not all about home runs. Yeah, we're already hearing that here in Minneapolis. And basically, you can't really listen to those fans for anything. So we try not to put too much stock in what they say. All right, so let's move along to Aaron Hicks, who surprisingly opened the season after a strong spring training as their opening day center fielder. Never had an at-bat above double-A. Not surprisingly, he flopped. And Ron, Gar- Ron Gardenhire acknowledged uh, that the Twins were not going to promote him in September and said, hopefully he'll come back with a little attitude. What the heck does that mean? I think they just want him to not feel like it was something that happened to him, but something that he'll need to overcome. I think the idea is that Hicks played poorly. Everybody who knows anything knows he played poorly. And whether he was rushed, whether he was unprepared, however it can be sliced, the Twins just want him to know that he is still a huge part of their future and that this doesn't dampen the long-term outlook on him much, if at all. And that the idea for him to come back and know that he's got to beat out guys like Alex Presley and Darren Mastriani out to start in center field next year. Yeah, and the interesting thing is that he's actually been pretty awful at AAA this year. I, it, only 72 at bats, so obviously it's a tiny sample size. But he only batted 222. He struck out at a career-high rate, if you don't include the uh, time with the Twins. Showed very little power, no home runs, uh, a 111 isolated slugging. I mean, so what happened here? Was his confidence just shaken and it just basically a throwaway year? That's part of it. He, he was battling some nagging injuries when he was down there, too, and, and he got going towards the end a little bit more. I don't know if it was like a, you know, he started to come around a little bit, but the, the biggest thing for him was the season at that point, I think, just was kind of a total loss. Not that he went down there and loafed or anything, but it just it he couldn't get on track, and the days that he looked really good in the major leagues, he looked phenomenal, and the days that he looked lost, he was tentative in the outfield. He was getting away from his otherwise very good approach at the plate, and it just it just never clicked for him. Now, is Alex Presley really going to be uh, a barricade for him 
for for Aaron Hicks next year. I mean, I, I kind of like Presley from a fantasy perspective. He does a little of everything. But he's old. He's not exactly a prospect. He's not exactly somebody that you would think is going to be blocking uh, a top prospect like Hicks. But here's Presley playing every day. The Twins are obviously going nowhere. So you wonder exactly what is going to happen next year. I think basically he and Darren Mastriani are just going to be the placeholders in center until Hicks proves that he's ready. And ultimately, I think Hicks is going to settle into a corner, not because he's going to be that kind of player, but because he's going to be pushed off by Byron Buxton, who comes up here in the next two to three years. So I think ultimately what the Twins are going to want to see is a strong spring and a good few months at AAA. And at that point, it'll be easy enough for the Twins to say, you know, Aaron can push Presley or Mastriani off of center field, move one of them to the fourth outfield job and just roll with it. Yeah, so it seems like just based on how poorly he's performed AAA this year, that unless he has another big spring training next year, he's probably going to open the season in the minors. He might have to hit 500 instead of what he did this year in spring training to break camp, just based on how spring training seems to be not not as predictive as a lot of people think it is. Yeah, and we go through this every single year with the spring training. I mean, there are some guys who it does carry over, but I think it's probably a 50% rate of – who does well and who it carries over for and, and who it doesn't. Brandon Belt is one example that had a big spring training and it has carried over Jason Castro. But again, that's cherry picking. And we remember the successes. We forget the failures. And just like anything else, it's a 50-50. So basically, bottom line, it has very little predictive value. The biggest the biggest thing to account for in spring training, too, is the pitching. There's a lot of non-roster guys. And then there's pitchers that are working on maybe the release point on their breaking ball. Maybe they're just throwing fastballs. So... There's not a whole lot of correlation between the success between spring training and regular season. I think Hicks is one of the biggest indicators of that. Jackie Bradley of the the Red Sox as well. Yeah, and you mentioned Byron Buxton, and he was named Baseball America Minor League Player of the Year. And uh, he's also a center fielder. And so you think that Aaron Hicks is actually going to be the one that's going to move, and it's going to be Buxton who is their center fielder of the future. But Buxton's a better defensive player, and he's the better overall player. So I think the Twins would be – will. I, it, it's hard to, to gauge right out of the shoot because the Twins have hit, let the veteran player play center field when it's like the Ben Revere and Denard Spann situation. And with Torrey Hunter and Jock Jones, I believe Jock Jones played center at first, and Torrey Hunter played right. So the Twins are kind of weird with seniority, but I, I would think with Buxton being – the uber prospect that he is, that they wouldn't have any problem moving to Hicks to right, where his arm would definitely play. His bat, less so, but his, his arm would definitely play. You know, it seems like Buxton actually isn't all that different from Aaron Hicks from a skills perspective. You know, I'm just looking at their, their stats, comparing them. Both have fantastic walk rates. It seems like Hicks probably strikes out just a tad more. Both of them have average-ish power and excellent speed. Are these two very similar skill sets? Buxton is faster and has more power based on conversations with Terry Ryan, but they're not they're not dissimilar players by any means. It's just that Buxton's ceiling is that of as high as you can imagine, whereas Hicks, I think, is a is a first division starter. Um, you know, the kind of guy that won't hurt you on a day to day basis, like a like a Tory Hunter caliber player. And again, that's ceiling, not necessarily floor and. They're both good players, but I think Buxton's got, you know, obviously a much higher ceiling. So, I mean, what do you think about Buxton's future power potential? Because 
He looked good in single A, 219 ISO, 8 home runs and 270 at-bats, which is, you know, 15 to 20 home run power. Only 4, though, in high A with a 147 ISO. Is he a guy who scouts think are, is going to develop a lot more power and be a 20-plus home run guy? I know the twin scouts think that because they would, they've maintained all along that they wouldn't have drafted him at the draft slot if they didn't think he was going to develop power. Now, if that's line drive power, shooting the gaps, doubles, triples, and the occasional home run, or if that's you know looping fly balls, 25 home runs, I, I, I don't know for sure. I would lean towards the, the former. I think he's going to hit line drives everywhere and just run crazy around the bases rather than, than you know pull the ball down the line for, for 20, 25 home runs. But I think the development potential in his body is there to be a 20 to 25 home run hitter. It's just... I don't know if it's immediately obvious at this point in his development. Now, I have to say, he is a guy, just again, looking at his stats, that as a fantasy owner, you have to salivate at his potential because he walks a lot. He does not strike out too much. He's already shown a penchant for a high bad bip, which I've always said does translate into the majors. I mean, he's done it over a 400 bad bip in both high A and single A this year. Obviously, it's not going to translate a 400, but... What that will translate to is a well above average BABIP in the majors, maybe a 350, a 340, 360 mark. So that translates, just not to the same degree. Developing power, fantastic speed. Uh, I mean, he stole, what is this, 55 bases this year. Yeah, when we asked Terry Ryan, sorry about that. I said, that's quite exciting. When we asked Terry Ryan about what it would take for him to move up to double A, Terry said basically, learning how to steal bases at will, which is basically imposing his will on the base pass. He said, and I quote, that this looks like a 50 to 60 to 70 steal a year guy, and that's what they want him to develop into. And that's that's not the kind of player that really exists in today's game anymore. And to, to have that as a skill set independent of line drive power, regular power, to be able to feel the way he does, to have a good eye at the plate, to be a good contact hitter, I mean... He really does sound like he's the total package. It kind of sounds like a Mike Trout in terms of doing everything. That's the comp that a lot of people throw on him, and obviously that's the most that's the utmost respect you can give a player at this point. And, yeah, and it's, it definitely is. Yeah, it's hard to live up to a ceiling like that, but it's the scouts are, are putting those kind of comps on him, and those guys don't use those lightly. Yeah, and it seems like, from a fantasy perspective, he might have the highest fantasy upside of any minor league prospect right now. That's probably fair to say. Uh, George Springer might be close with the 40-40 that he almost went for this year, but he also played in the Pacific Coast League for a while, and that's going to inflate offense a little bit. But it's two very high-ceiling guys when you bring up those two. Yeah, and then, of course, George Springer also strikes out a lot more than Buxton, and so he might not contribute in batting average, but obviously... Also, an intriguing blend of power and speed, and also a, a better ballpark. I mean, Minute Maid Park is certainly a better place to hit than Target Field. Yeah, the Twins played there last week, and they were hitting the ball out of there with no problem. That's a that's a launch pad. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about a current catcher who's a rookie. And just watching the game earlier, I learned how to pronounce his name. I've been calling him, in my head at least, Josmil Pinto, but apparently it's Hosmil Pinto. Yeah, Hosmiel or Yosmiel. They haven't really been specific. He kind of goes with whichever, but uh, you can say his name however you want if he hits like that. <laughs> well, either way, it's a pretty cool name. And so far, so good. Two home runs. 
so far, 41 plate appearances. He homered today, and uh, almost as many walks as strikeouts as well. Four walks, only five strikeouts. Pretty impressive. Is he their long-term future at catcher? Yeah, I think he probably is a guy that they like back there. The biggest issue right now is his receiving skills leave a little bit to be desired. But he is the kind of guy they like back there. That he says he's a sponge when it comes to hanging out with Terry Steinbach, the bench coach, who's a former three-time all-star catcher in his own right. And so he's a young Hispanic guy. He's got the language barrier a little bit, but he's a, he's a willing learner. He can absolutely mash, and he's got a lot of the tools that the Twins are looking for in a future catcher. I don't know if he'll end up going back to AAA to start next year, but he's really, really making a good impression right now. And he had quite the year at AA this year. He walked 64 times versus 71 strikeouts, 14 home runs. He batted 308. I mean, he's a guy who I had never heard of, and then he gets called up, and he's pretty much playing every single day. Yeah, he's got a great approach at the plate, doesn't get himself out. And in one sequence of back-to-back pitches at Target Field, for anybody who knows the stadium, he hit one foul to the executive offices on the left side, and then the next pitch he hit fair off the right field fence. So he covered the plate in a span of two pitches about as good as you can. Pretty impressive. And speaking of prospects, it would be foolish not to talk about Miguel Santa, who's also one of the top prospects in all of baseball. He probably is going to end up beating Buxton to the majors, I would assume. I think he'll beat him there by probably about a full year. Yeah. I think I think he's looking at a first-half call-up in this next season here. Now, 35 home runs during the minor league season and 11 steals, but he kind of took a little bit of a dive at double-A. He batted only 236. He's got a bit of a strikeout problem. Is that a yeah. Well, he doesn't quite know what pitchers are trying to do to him at double-A yet. I think what will happen is that the adjustment period is starting to wear off for him. He'll go to double-A to start next year, and I think you'll see him do similar to what he did at high-A this year, which is understand breaking balls in certain counts and you know the ball spinning away from him and you know coming in and out and all that kind of stuff. And I think the adjustment period is basically over for him, and after winter ball here, he's going to come back to double-A and, and really take off. I mean, he's shown massive power so far. I mean, would it be outrageous to call him uh, kind of like a Giancarlo Stanton? I know they've hung 80 grades on his power, and Stanton's another guy like that. I think Joey Gallo of the Rangers system is another guy. They're pretty rare. I would say he's definitely in the conversation. Now, you don't want to put a guy who's never played a major league game in that conversation without noting qualifiers. But, yeah, he's he's in that conversation for sure. Yeah, and it's good to see that he takes the walk. Uh, he's walked 80 times last year and uh, consistently posting walk percentages of around 12% plus. Also has speed. Giancarlo Santo doesn't have speed. So, I mean, from Sano in his peak, I mean, you might get 40 home runs and 10 steals from him. Yeah, he seems to be the kind of guy, I guess he moves pretty good based on everything I've ever heard. And he might be somebody who will steal one when you're not paying attention to him. And there's value in that. Stolen bases are stolen bases. All right, let's talk about pitching. Because I know that it's been discussed before on the podcast, and I hate to beat a dead horse, but what is it going to take for the Minnesota Twins to realize that the pitch-to-contact organizational philosophy stinks? I mean, right now, only three starters all season have posted an ERA below five. That's awful. 
I think this year, whether they said it or not, was just kind of a write-off, and they wanted to get veterans to get them through the year. They didn't have to tax any young arms. I think the idea was bring Mike Pelfrey in, bring Kevin Correa in, run them through here. and Because the idea was in the, in the last year they've brought on guys like Alex Meyer, Trevor May, Cole Stewart, who should all be strikeout-type guys. I think the idea was that Rome wasn't built in a day, and so the Twins are, are committing to – the long-term development of strikeout guys rather than going out and paying market price for strikeout guys. And to, to some degree it makes sense, but to some degree it's still disappointing that it had to fall to this point before they reversed course. So you do, do think that slowly but surely they will transition and we'll start to see some strikeout guys be developed? I think they'll still love their ground ball guys, but let's not forget guys like Scott Baker, Kevin Slowey. The, the perception was that they were pitched to contact, and they were both 7.0 per nine strikeout guys, too. So they've employed strikeout guys in the past. They've just had trouble developing them. And whether that's an organizational philosophy thing or just a dumb luck thing, I'm not entirely positive. But Matt Garza came through the system. They haven't necessarily ruined strikeout guys. They just haven't gone out and gotten them. I think they've decided now that they understand how high-end talent needs to be cultivated. But... The jury's still out until they develop a guy and keep him that they know and really get it. So let's talk about Kyle Gibson because his strikeout rate plummeted in the uh, majors this year. Only about 12% strikeout rate. He had been consistently in the 20 to 25% range in the minors. I, what do you make of his prospects? I still see seeds of an intriguing talent here, but I, obviously – his, you know, his first taste of the majors obviously wasn't good. Well, he still throws pretty hard, but his fastball is, is more of a two-seamer sinker kind of hybrid, and that's not necessarily a big strikeout pitch in the major leagues. I think you're looking at a guy who'd be like a 6.5, 7.0 strikeouts per nine, you know, league average. But what happened in his first taste of big leagues was he nibbled too much. You know, he'd work each side of the plate – but he would be you know, a little outside, a little outside, a little inside. And he just didn't look like a guy who was confident enough to let his, his two-seamer move in and out of the zone in a natural way. He would aim. He would try to just kind of lay it in there. And at times he would just get blasted. His walk rate went up considerably from the minor leagues. And when he did put it over the plate, it got hit out of the ballpark. I mean, a 1.24 home runs per nine is not disastrous, but it's not good either. So do you think Alex Meyer is probably the most intriguing pitching prospect that we may eventually see in their starting rotation? I think he probably is because we don't know much about Cole Stewart yet. But I think Meyer – I think that Terry Ryan would do that trade for Denard Span all day, every day based on you – know, Span's played pretty well for center fielder in Washington. He's got like a 24-game hitting streak, 25-game hitting streak. But I think to get a high-end pitcher like that – who pitched in double-A this year, and so he could make his big league debut next year at 24. That, that's a trade he's got to make. Are you higher on Myers' long-term future than Gibson's? Yes, absolutely. I think he's got higher-end stuff. He throws harder. I think he's got better secondary stuff. And a name that the the GM, Terry Ryan, again, had said not to forget is Trevor May who apparently the organization still absolutely loves. And obviously his numbers, if you look at them, not all that impressive. But what they liked was he was a horse for them. He, he put up the innings down the stretch. He pitched better. He still gets strikeouts. And, and the biggest thing is he just 
he put himself now in a position, I think, to win a job in that rotation next year. And to me, it looks like a long-term number four kind of a horse who's going to get strikeouts but might get beat up every now and then. All right, let's talk about a breakout catcher in Washington that seems to have been extremely hot because I haven't paid attention to him basically all season. Wilson Ramos, all of a sudden, he has 15 home runs in 265 plate appearances. Now, heading into today's game, he, if he qualified, would rank second in baseball behind Chris Davis in home run per fly ball ratio. So coming into the game, it was about 27%. That obviously goes up. That's just crazy to me. Wilson Ramos, the second highest home run per fly ball ratio in all of baseball? Seriously? Well, now I need. I think it needs some time to even out because he's been out for part of the year. But, yeah, he was in Minnesota just a very good offensive catcher and not a bad receiving catcher from what I've heard in reports too. But to me, he kind of looks like a poor man's Will and Rosario, you know, a, a guy who's not going to walk a lot, but can have a high batting average, high slugging, and as a result, a high isolated power. But – those guys are valuable, especially if they're good catch-and-throw guys. Yeah, I mean, the crazy thing is is that his ground ball rate is at 56%. He doesn't hit fly balls. So if he actually had a normal, let's say, 35% fly ball rate, he'd be at like 20 home runs now. That's nuts to me. To me, he's going to be a big sleeper coming into next year. You think especially... he's a sleeper, though, after he's done what he's done in 250 at-bats? Well... I, I, it's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, because people are going to project it out to 30 home runs over 600 at bats and all that too. So, yeah, maybe he will. Maybe in in the the brighter, smarter draft uh, groups in the leagues, people will see that and, and nab him early. But I think for people who will just hit sort by home runs, sort by batting average, he could sneak under the radar a little bit. Right. If they forget the fact that he's missed time due to injury, he only has a 250 at bats. You know, if you looked at his batted ball distance. It's a small sample to be sure, but it's at 312 feet. That's like league-leading levels. Uh, his last full season in 2011, it was only 286 feet. So it's a significant increase since then. And and that would seem to suggest that right now his home run per fly ball is legit. You just never actually expected Wilson Ramos to have that much power. So it's just really hard to believe. I mean, he he never showed this kind of power anywhere in the minors, and it's not like he's an enormous guy or anything. You just didn't think that he had this much power. Yeah, I just I always believed he was a good hitter, a, f- a fine hitter. But you know, thirty home runs and six hundred at bats power, I would have never envisioned that one bit. Yeah, so I mean, it's really really hard to believe that this is for real. But I mean, his batted ball distance suggests that it is. You just I, I just can't believe he has this much power. So either it's a career year and it's not he's not going to come close again, or this is basically the beginning of one of the top hitting catchers in baseball, and he's a legit 25 to 30 home run guy. So I, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to end up projecting him ne- next year, but it'll be somebody who will either be a, a real bargain and undervalued or overvalued based on his small sample big season. Yeah, and it's a shame that his his best season and his career year, so to speak, if it's that way, has to come in a season where he has no prayer of going over 300, 350 plate appearances. Yeah, so, I mean, that'll be a good thing for those people who believe in Ramos' season because it'll keep his cost down next year, if anything. Right, absolutely. All right, let's move along to some big news, and that's that Todd Helton 
is going to be retiring after next or after this season. And so the question becomes, who plays first base for the Rockies next year? Obviously, anybody who moves to Colorado is going to be on a fantasy owner's radar. And, I mean, in my mind, it seems like their best in-house solution is simply moving Michael Kadir to first base full-time. He's not a good outfielder this year. Nearly a minus 21 UZR 150 for his career, minus 8. Does that make the most sense to you? Is that what you think they're going to do? Yeah, especially with Dickerson, who can play outfield. And you got Fowler, you got Cargo. I think that's the smartest way to do it. You've already got a sunk cost in Kadir, whom they insist they don't want to trade, whether it be good or bad for the franchise. Won't really get into that. But, yeah, I think Kadir moving into first... And when he filled in for Justin Morneau when Morneau had his concussion issues, Kadair was a capable first baseman, does a, does a fine job over there, and there's no reason he couldn't be a full-timer at that spot, especially with how he's hit this year. All right, let's spontaneously talk about Corey Dickerson because he's a guy who has some intriguing minor league stats. Anybody who has a full-time opportunity to play at Coors Field is going to be somebody to uh, consider – in fantasy leagues, but I mean, his power, only three home runs at 150 at bats, hitting a lot of doubles though. But I, this guy wasn't exactly a, a top prospect, or maybe he was. I mean, I never heard of the guy before he was called up, and I'm, I'm checking out uh, Mark Hewlett's preseason top 15 prospects for the Rockies, and he only ranked 12th. So yeah, I mean, this is not a guy who had a, a whole lot of hype. No, and a lot of the things he did this year in terms of offense were in the PCL. Again, hate to beat a dead horse, but Colorado Springs surely isn't the, the the biggest pitcher's park that exists. And then again, they are going up to Colorado, so it does prepare them for playing in Denver. So I, I don't know. I think he's going to be the kind of guy who – he showed, I mean, 32 home runs a couple years in the minor, a couple years ago in the minors – I'm not sure if that's the kind of talent he is or if he's more of a 40-double guy like he was last year in the minors. But, I mean, that's really splitting hairs when it comes to extra base hits. Yeah, and also the issue is he's a lefty, probably not going to get a whole lot of at-bats versus lefties. So even if he opened the season with a full-time job, he probably will be benched against lefties, be a platoon guy, only get 450 to 500 at-bats. And that's tough to really earn a whole lot of mixed league value. I mean, then you have a Matt Joyce kind of guy, a guy if you have a big bench to keep around in case of injury, but not somebody you're really comfortable starting every week. Yeah, small sample size caveats certainly do apply, but he does have a 555 OPS versus lefties. So about a 340-point split. That's that's going to be something they'll be watching pretty closely in his, uh, in his career, in his formative years. All right. Let's talk about a guy who has not get, gotten a whole lot of buzz for being quite the disappointment this year, which is strange because I actually own Ian Kinsler in several leagues, and yet I, I never thought to actually talk about what a disappointing season he's had. But, I mean, this is the second straight season of decline, only 11 home runs. Yes, he's missed time due to injury, but that's not really that surprising with Kinsler, who's missed time a lot in previous years with injury. I, where do we go from here? Is this just another down year, or is this just another point in his decline, and, and this is not somebody that you really want to uh, draft next year? Well, it's so hard to say because he's 31 at a middle infield position, and the way they age, is it's so strange. And obviously he's got a big contract still. The biggest thing this year has been through June 15, he was playing quite well, had about an, an 870 OPS 
suffered the intercoastal injury, which I can attest to is absolutely horrifyingly painful. And since then, he's got a 679 OPS since returning. So I think that there's something lingering inside there. He's missed games or he's had to DH due to, to lingering issues that he's having now in the past few days. I, I think there's a good chance he's not quite right. And the problem is that this Rangers team right now needs to, to put all hands on deck and try salvage these last two games, try to get back in the playoff mix. So they got to run him out there, whether he feels good or not. I think his stats have also deceived a lot of fantasy owners into thinking that he's a real big power hitter at second base because they see his 30 home run seasons twice, around 20 most of the other years. But really, he doesn't have a whole lot of power. His power is as the result of being an extreme fly ball guy. But his home run for fly ball ratios have basically hovered around 10%. Uh, most years, he's been below 10%. This year, only 6.5%. If you look at his batted ball distance, they're surprisingly low. So this is not a guy that has a whole lot of power. It's mostly probably his ballpark and that he hits a ton of fly balls and that he makes excellent contact. So all that combined has boosted his home run totals, but he's not really a, a big power guy. Well, that's not anything that I would lean on either, all those things, because they can go away real easily as he ages, getting gets into his mid-30s. And... Yeah, I don't know if the time is now to move him to, to left field or what they're going to do because they still have to get Profar into the lineup eventually here. So uh, there's a lot of question marks around Kinsler, if you ask me. The only thing that isn't in question is how much he's going to get paid. Yeah, um, and speaking of getting paid, I mean, next year, it, it's really hard to say if he's going to be somebody to go after, if he's going to be undervalued until we start seeing early mock drafts. I don't know because he's a guy that, He's had injuries, he's had disappointing seasons, and he's had big years where he's gone 30-30. And so you don't really know what fantasy owners are going to think of him next year. But again, obviously a year older, he's going to be 32 in the middle of next season. So, I mean, that's the wrong side of 30. You start to wonder when his speed is going to start to decline. It looks like it already has only 14 steals and 9 caughts this year. So I don't know if he's going to be a guy that I'm going to end up with on any teams next year or not. It's going to be something that's really going to be strongly dependent on his cost, and that's something that I, I can't really speculate on right now. Because, you know, the other thing is name value. People in fantasy leagues will draft the names they recognize. For me, it was like staying away from Jeff Kent a few years ago because at his age I didn't want to go down that road. Now, here, here's one scary thing. Kinsler is owed a minimum of $62 million more. He has signed guaranteed through 2017 with a $12 million option, for 2018, so he is signed for a very long time. Yeah, so obviously they have to figure out what to do with him, and, and Profar is not going to be their utility guy, obviously. So they'll figure something out, and who knows, maybe it'll be something that will make it easier for Kinsler to stay healthy. Yeah, if, if moving him to left field, I mean... The bat, when it's right, definitely would play out there. And I know he doesn't want to move, you know, neither did Michael Young. It, it all works out in the end. The team wins. Everybody's happy. You can work those things out. And, and it's not like he's playing for another contract because he's not signing with anybody after 36, I don't think. And, hey, they've played Michael Young at DH before, so they're clearly not against moving a middle infielder who isn't exactly a great hitter at DH, moving him to DH. So that's always a possibility as well, I would think. Whatever it takes to win. That's right. And on that note, 
we're going to wrap things up. So join us again on Tuesday for more fantasy fun on The Sleeper and the Bust. For Brandon Warren, I'm Mike Podhorzer. Thanks for tuning in.